0: Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson.
1: And I'm Livius Nedden. Now, I don't know if this speaks to, and I'm not going to say the quality, but at least as far as our interests go in what's been coming out in fiction. But uh, <laughs> we're, we're doing another, another throwback episode. And uh, again, something that uh, I don't want to say didn't make sense for us to do, but there wasn't like a good time or whatever. So at any rate, you guys already, you probably saw the title. Uh, the Contortionist Handbook by Craig Clevenger is what we're reviewing this week. Um, a book that came out in 2003. Rob, do you remember where you were in 2003?
0: Uh, I was working at Cir- Circuit City. I was working at Circuit City um, in the warehouse. Uh, not reading good fiction by a
1: long, long shot, I'm sure. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I was I was also probably working somewhere at the time. But that's uh, it's going on 20 years for this book, right? So are we at 18 years now? Um, uh, spoiler alert, uh, one of my favorite books, I, I believe I speak for Rob when I say also one of his favorite books, so this will probably be some kind of gush fest and uh, maybe less critical than, than we can be at times. But uh, for, for the uninitiated... Um, I guess I'll read Craig Clevenger's uh, very short and succinct bio. Craig was born in Dallas, Texas, and raised in Southern California, where he studied English at California State University, Long Beach. He has traveled extensively and lived in Dublin and London, but currently resides in California. Very
0: nicely to the point. Um, I'm going to go into a synopsis for Contortionist Handbook. Uh, I would imagine that a good chunk of the, the listenership that we have is probably at least somewhat familiar with the book um, or has heard of the author, if not having read the book themselves. Um, it is a stunningly intense debut novel about a talented young forger who continually reinvents himself to escape escape. The authorities. Following a near fatal overdose of painkillers, Daniel Fletcher is resuscitated in a Los Angeles emergency room and detained for psychiatric evaluation. Through a series of questions and tests, the psychiatrist must ascertain whether the patient intended to kill himself or whether he can walk free. What that psychiatrist doesn't know is that, quote, Daniel Fletcher, unquote, is actually John, Johnny Dolan Vincent, a brilliant young forger who continually changes his identity to save himself from a lifetime of incarceration. Johnny has done such assessments before many, many times. As he creates an elaborate bluff for the evaluator, Johnny reveals the true story of his traumatic past, a broken family, descent into the sinister world of forgers and criminals, and his one chance of salvation in the beautiful and elusive Molly. But time is running out. As his underworld clients lose patience and the psychiatrist's net closes around him, Johnny has to negotiate the escape act of his life. Evoking the boulevards and strip bars of 1980s L.A. with cinematic intensity, The Contortionist Handbook is
1: a darkly hypnotic and stunningly original debut. I know at the time they wrote that synopsis, um, they didn't think to put the word underrated in there. (laughs) But this, this book for me, it's constantly surprising how many people I talk to that are not familiar with um with Craig's work um and and you know specifically his his debut novel this one and I don't I don't know where to where to credit that and I'm probably not going to spend too much more time thinking about it but it's it's you know it's it's easy when you're talking to people who who read engaging fiction to talk about you know, uh, Daniel Lewski, right? Daniel Lewski. Let me pronounce the way the man pronounces his own name. Daniel Lewski, right? Like House of Leaves is common knowledge, uh, you know, amongst people, and and I feel like like the Contortious Handbook should should be in there as well. And it's 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 always disappointing um, when when it's brought up, and I'm the only one who knows what it is.
0: Well, that's something that actually so like the fan base that Craig has, which is, um, you know in my experience at least a very loyal and, and enthusiastic fan base has been you know getting the the word out about that for a long time and i was thinking about this because we haven't featured craig much on the podcast even though he is absolutely one of the most important authors i think to the to the both of us Um, and it's just a matter of timeliness like you said before but like his books occupy what I would consider a prestige spot on my bookshelves he is the very top left of the most visible book shelf so he is the first author you see Um, we both have a lot of love for him in general and we're very enthusiastic about his books but I will tell you the people that I have turned on to uh, Contortionist Handbook and Dermaphoria have also become just as enthusiastic so um, I think that right now we are, like, we are the, the street team of the book more or less. And um, I, I, <laughs> people could probably predict right now our like our rating based on the enthusiasm we're throwing at the beginning of it. But um, yeah, it's just interesting that, uh, so Craig is, is, he's an awesome dude and he is one of the most intense and sophisticated, like, writers that I can think of. Like, his books are just... Um, practically flawless. Um, so the fact that he hasn't featured too prominently in the podcast just comes down to timing and and in the, the kind of the format of the podcast. But um he did join us for a couple of reviews. He reviewed that William Gay book with us. Mm-hmm. Little Sister Death. and um, Matt Bell's book, The Scrapper, right? Yep, yeah. So if anybody wants to hear a little bit from him, uh, we have some, some episodes and an interview episode very early on as well. That we do.
1: Um, let's, uh, let's go on talking about uh, the contortionist Handbook. Um, it begins, uh, interestingly enough, with our protagonist recounting, uh, I believe it's six overdoses over the course of uh, a couple of years. So uh, I, we'll, we'll refer, I think, to our protagonist as, as uh, Johnny Probably throughout freeze of use, although he goes by several names uh, during the course of the book, but he is recounting um, his uh, the, the the many instances in in which he he may have taken too many drugs, and and he has a reason. Um, six overdoses in a couple of years makes him sound a little bit like a junkie, but he does fight these uh, incredible uh, migraine type headaches that uh, that are. are Paralytic, at least in the fact that he absolutely can't do anything but be in pain for days on end. This takes us into his most recent overdose, um, where we begin to learn not just about what's going on today, but his history and how he got to this point.
0: So I'll just say really quickly, the format of this book is a it's, it's in the first person. So it's as if John is telling us his own story Um, And it does kind of jump back and forth through time. So we have a general current day timeline that occupies a good amount of the story. But um, a lot of the context is given to us in not necessarily flashbacks, but just like, um, you know, explanations of, like Livia said before, how he got to where he is now. Um, And one of the things that you notice early on in the book is that the character is doing a lot of explaining about what he does and why Um, and it's the thing I really like about it is this is a guy who at face value if you met him on the street would seem like probably like a shifty junky, criminal kind of scary dude Uh, but when you're reading the book and you're hearing things from his perspective you're seeing how like careful and, and thoughtful he is about the things he's doing so when he's speaking with the evaluator um who's, who has the power to either release him and declare that he is, you know, that his overdose was an accident, um, not an intentional like attempt at suicide. He, because he's gone through this several times, you see him basically playing chess with the evaluator, even though they don't know that's what's going on. He's, very carefully saying and doing specific things to get the response he wants from the evaluator. So it's early on. It's it's very obvious that he's a very smart person. Um, but it's not just that he's, like, studied on the subject. He became smart about this because he's gone through this before because he's experienced these crazy, like, insane, like, super migraines often enough. And the only thing that will stop it or stop the pain is taking too much drugs and almost dying. So um, really early on establishes not only is this guy super smart, but he's also like struggling with something that nobody believes is real, and he has to find a way to survive without landing himself like permanently, like in jail or a
1: mental institution. Yep. At the point we catch Johnny and his life, things are going pretty well for him. Um, although through the course of the book, uh, we learn about other relationships he's had he's uh genuinely found the right girl for him uh, her name is Kira Kiara Kira Kiara, hmm. Kiara? I was hearing think? Kira Kira yeah. Kiara yeah. oh Kira. now
0: I see what you're saying okay. now huh. yeah
1: yeah I was I was reading it as Kira but uh. <laughs> um, so uh, this time he has maybe a little more to lose than in previous um instances so as Rob mentioned he's taken into the hospital. Um, once he's uh, you know out of, uh, out of danger, he's, he's sent to an evaluator uh, where he's kept, he's kept for 72 hours, which is the standard when they're not sure to, to go through an evaluation. And either he will walk free at the end of this evaluation or be committed to uh, an institution of sorts if it is believed that he is a, uh, a clear and present danger to himself. So um, a couple of things. Rob mentioned that he's incredibly smart and is a really he's become a student um, of people in general and not just through the course of the evaluator, but in things we see before that he looks for people's mannerisms as a cue to, to what they're thinking or whatever. And not only is he smart in that way, he's also essentially a master forger. Um, which is something that uh, developed in his youth, his ability to mimic things he sees um, through drawing, and uh, that's how he's uh, able to switch identities as uh, as uh, as much as he needs to. Um, but also one of the sources that he makes money from, and it's mentioned in the in the uh, synopsis that he uh, at some point came across the radar of some criminal elements that also. Uh, provide some pressure to our protagonist um, through the course of the book and ultimately through what we see today.
0: Yep. One of the things I want to point out that comes up early on in the book is some of the things about him that make him the way he is most notably. And it's surprising that this hasn't come up yet uh, on one of his hands. He has an actual full extra finger, like a fully articulated Fully functioning extra middle finger, I believe, um, and so when he was a child, uh, in, in an effort to keep him from getting bullied or or picked on for his extra finger, his dad bought him a, a book about um, sleight of hand. Uh, so basically, he can learn how to be deft with his hand to uh, cover up the extra digit and uh, keep people from knowing about it, or at least like you know control how people. Come to discover he's got an extra finger, um, but he also um, this. The thought came up because Livius was talking about how good he is at um, being a forger. Uh, developed kind of slowly in the beginning, like didn't talk until like a much later age than usual, and and I believe walking as well. So he developmentally was slow at the beginning, but where you know where kids would be talking and playing with stuff, he was basically able to at a very young age um, draw really well and would just draw shapes and patterns and stuff like that uh way better than you would expect a child to and then that just kind of ended up continuing on so that that lays the the groundwork for the idea that he's an excellent forger is that his entire life he's basically just been really good at drawing things and recreating things to the point where he could like draw very convincing like currency and things like that so Uh, that was some of the formational stuff that got him to the point where um, in his teen years he was recreating things and then uh, I I think one of his teen friends his name is Lewis kind of caught on to the fact that he was good at uh, copying things and got the idea that he could he could use him to copy like a prescription that he had stolen from like a family member or something like that as a way to either get free drugs or Or whatever, so that that skill that was kind of harmless as a kid led him down a path that could get him into trouble.
1: So a couple of thoughts. Um, I guess one thought and then one observation. Uh, I wondered often through this book. This is probably my third or fourth time reading this book. This time, it really occurred to me that had uh, had Johnny not suffered from these headaches. How much different his life could be that, than what it is. So in order for him to continue to switch identities, he kind of has to, you know, not get caught. He has to kind of stay under the radar. So he works, you know, courier jobs and, and stuff like that. And it, it really occurred to me that somebody with his skill could have a very different lifestyle if it wasn't for this, uh, you know, basically handicap of these these uh, god splitter, is how they're referred to by by the protagonist. These god splitter headaches. Um, The other one was that he was able to mimic things to an extraordinary degree, like in his own hand, but he was able to expand that so that whatever skill set, wherever that comes from, uh, extends for him into uh, like, like knowing, you know, like learning how to age paper properly or keeping an old ass typewriter around, you know, with faded ribbon. And so that you know everything he does looks dated so it's not just that he can um, do these things and, and recreate them by his own hand but like the the observational skills that come from that came into play in creating actual documents you know so so mimicking documents um, which you know is a, is a helpful skill to have um, especially if you need to change your identity several times through the course of a book
0: yep um So story-wise, we go back and forth between the present day and um, his past that got him to the point uh, that we're at now. And uh, plot-wise, basically, in the present day, um, we open when he has had one of these God-splitter headaches and he's being evaluated and trying to get out. Um, And really, kind of the modern-day pressure that's on him is he has done some work doing forgeries for, like, um, passports and other stuff For for kind of a shady element There's a guy named Jimmy who's basically like a mob guy Who um, He's done work for a little bit But he's so good at it And his work has been so successful That it's like a once you start working for these people You can't get out kind of thing um, And so he's just basically Being pressured to keep doing work for these guys Or there's like a, An implied Not good outcome Otherwise And so he has to basically either keep working for these people or try and find a way to get away from them. But the complication is he's having these headaches, which land him in observation for 72 hours. So from a mob boss's point of view, it's like, hey, where were you for like three days? You totally dropped off the radar and we were trying to get a hold of you. So that's kind of the modern, like the current day conflict that's happening is like he's trying to get out from under these mob people but he's also trying to stay out of um, like a psychiatric unit uh, for being like a suicide
1: risk. And then in the past we see um, selections from his early childhood through his teen years. And then, you know, mostly uh, as an adult um, instances around um, these, these headaches that, that occur. And that really makes up the, the, the basis of, of the book. Um You know, plot wise, I don't know that, you know, we want to talk a lot about it. So I mean, I'll kind of reframe it one more time through the course of him being evaluated in this, you know, whatever, three days worth of interviews. um, He's he's teaching us how he is able to uh, pass these interviews through careful study uh, of the process and from being able to read people very well um, as he's telling the evaluator one thing we're getting the truth of his life um coming out you know the the, uh, the other side in the, in the inner dialogue i think that's probably a fair way to frame it
0: yeah yep um and and i guess i was trying to think about how like the structure of this book is because it didn't feel so much like um like a story that's got like a beginning middle end kind of like there's like inciting action and you know, all that kind of stuff. It felt more like this was almost like memoir ish where it's just this guy telling you about like, Hey, this is where I am. This is how I got here. And, you know, so it didn't seem like it necessarily wanted to be something that had, um, a, a typical three X structure kind of situation. Um, but I think it works very effectively.
1: Yeah, I agree. So the majority of books we read are three act structure, the hero's journey, right? You know, and and this is uh this is a little a, a little different. It's um, memoir is probably not a bad way to put it. It actually is probably a good format for someone to write a memoir. Um, but where so what it when I say lacks in that if that's what you're used to and you find this kind of structure um, odd or uh, difficult to read or, or whatever, is the detail that goes into this book on uh, forgery, on um, reading people, on, you know, the the art of making someone think you're someone you're not, like, more than makes up for the standard three act story, in my opinion, like, it, for me, Until you said that, I didn't even think about that this isn't like standard formatting for a story because it's rich enough in every area that I really didn't care about, um, you know, character development and and stuff like that that you would normally see. Right. You've got one guy at the beginning and he's a different guy at the end. And we have one guy. So our today's story takes place over the course of like three days. And then we have, I don't know, 25 years or something peppered in between those three or four days. So, you know, it, it, it works, and it works very well in this book.
0: Yeah, and one of the things, so since we're probably not going to do too much more about plot, I want to talk about one of the things that really stood out uh, in this reading of the book because I have read it at least a couple of times before, if not several. Um, one of the things that stood out and is very important to know about this guy is, like, he is up against shit constantly like and and this plays into olivius's thought about like what if this guy didn't have these headaches would he have a different life he has every disadvantage possible like he had a shitty upbringing with a with a criminal dad and a mom who was dying we didn't mention that but his mom was sick like basically through every part of the story that you know that where you know before she passed away um, so he had a really rough home life. He had to deal with the fact that he has this physical deformity or abnormality. Um, he has these crazy headaches. So he has to basically... So this guy is basically just the whole time, the things that he does. And then on top of it, he becomes like a pet for the mob. And he's trying to get away from that. So like <laughs> everything he does is just to basically break even. It's not like he's like some criminal mastermind. He's just trying to survive. And the the odds are against him on all sides. And so um what the story does is it does a really good job of putting you in his corner just by the fact that he is facing just nonstop adversity. Uh and I think that's that's one of the things about the story that I appreciate is that he never comes off as braggy. He's brilliant. He's an awesome forger. He is obviously more intelligent than the psychiatrists and stuff they're evaluating him but um, it's all a survival instinct for him to do the things that he's doing and he's never really had well you know obviously there's parts of the story where he like talks about where things weren't bad where he's like dating rich women and and stuff like that but um, he has definitely faced far worse odds than the average person for, for a majority of the character's life
1: yeah. And you know, you would think that six fingers on one hand might be a deterrent for the ladies. Turns out, at least in, uh, in Johnny Vincent's <laughs> world, that not, not so much, right?
0: That's well, we'll leave it to the, <laughs> we'll leave it to the listeners to decide where that yeah. goes. But yeah. 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 So, I, uh... Some people are into that, I guess. I guess if you, if you're into being choked, if there's more hand to choke you with, there I mean, you that's a thing, right? I, I
1: apparently, so, but, um, no, it's tough. Cause like I said, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about the plot of this book. I think everybody should read this book, right? Like we've given you the broad strokes uh, of what it's about and what you can expect, but I, I've got to tell you that, um, every time I read this, I'm, I'm surprised each time at the amount of just detail that, that goes into, um, Clevenger's storytelling. And again, that's from you know, and I, I know I mentioned it now I think twice, but his ability to read people and what different um, expectations you can have based on somebody's uh, physical mannerisms, right? Or um, at one point, you know, he's he's uh, he he cracks the code of the shorthand that the psychiatrist is using, you know. But there's so much detail in that, and then there's a bunch of fun stuff about how, how to how to get yourself a new identity too. Which again, now the book's. You know, like I said, going on 20 years old, I don't know how much of that still is effective now in the, the you know, the days of, of the Internet and stuff, but just really, really fascinating stuff throughout and, and then shared with you in a compelling way through the the, the life of, of the protagonist.
0: Yep. And and so we got to the point where this is something that um, I've, I've enjoyed that we've had the opportunity to do l- lately. And that is to revisit books that we read before the podcast. And the reason being, before I did this podcast, I don't think that I had the instinct to be as critical or um, to observe as much or look at things in as much detail as I do when I'm reading a book now. So past readings of Contortionist Handbook, obviously I understood that this is a great story and I had, like, a gut feeling that, like, this is, this is higher than average when it comes to, like, the quality of writing you can expect in a book. But now that we've, you know, reviewed over 300 books where we have to look at it and say, this is why this is good, this is why this is bad. I was, inter- I was interested to see how my opinion of this book may change. And obviously, you're a little bit worried because you're like, well, what if I'm seeing all the flaws now? Um, but on the other side, what if, what if it's just that fucking unassailable? And it ends up that yeah, it's just that fucking unassailable. Like I, I was looking at this with a much more analytical eye as I was reading the book, and I can't, like, I can't. There's not like, I can't find a criticism. So I'm glad that we've been doing this. We did it recently with, uh, we talked about early Stephen Graham Jones books. We went and talked about Phineas Poe, the, the Will, Will Christopher, or Phineas Poe, sorry, Kiss Me Judas, the Will Christopher Bear book. Um, and, and now I'm glad that we got to do this because it reinforces just how fucking incredible a first novel from someone could be uh, in, in this story.
1: Yeah, I mean and we completed the 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 the, uh, the holy threesome, right? Tr- uh, yeah. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the know. right word. I don't know if any of those guys want to be involved in any threesome that you and I are, are involved in, but um, If it was yeah, anybody, it'd be Craig. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yes, that's that's very likely true. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's look, if you haven't read it, get a copy uh, sadly sadly because of things and stupid things and things I believe we talked about in our interview with him or at least uh, one of the times he was on interview with us like this is not in print currently Um, it's pretty easy to get a copy on uh, there are some used copies on Amazon some of them with pretty high price tags but Abe Books has them as well and uh, I mean if you haven't read it it's a it's a very short read it's like 190 pages if memory serves correctly Um, yes yeah
0: i want to point out there is an audible audiobook version which i believe is recent enough where there's not copyright issues like it's actually like he gets money off of it or whatever so the audiobook version is readily
1: available if you're an audible person you might even get it for free i might um i i um i I might have to add that to the list because you know what i feel like i remember we talked with him about it but i forgot all about the fact that there is an audiobook version of this this might uh this might be my drive to and from work for a week and a half or so. Nice. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, I don't know. I mean, this isn't even really a review, right? So, I mean, I guess we can kind of go into wrap ups. Um, I think everyone knows where, where this is heading. Um, did you want to go first?
0: Yeah, I'll go. Um, yeah. And this will be a loose wrap up just because um, like, even before we started recording this, I was thinking to myself, I'm just going to start out by saying this is a 10, 10 star book. Um, so, not a surprise. I first read this probably a dozen years ago at the uh at the recommendation of Livius and I really enjoyed it and I believe I've read it once or twice since then, so it had been too long since I read this. I I I honestly, like I said before, I cannot find a criticism about this book. I think Every aspect of, of what you could break a book down into Is done as good as you could expect it to be done um, It's, it's an interesting story The detail of the character's past The way that it's told um, The structure of the plot And how things play into each other uh, Anything that you could, you could look at and pick apart Is done just meticulously The dialogue is great The backstory is great the you know the authenticity of the character and his criminal past but like the fact that he's facing adversity I can't think of anything that um that isn't done like as well as you could expect it to be done uh I I have a ton of respect for Craig as an author and when I talk about him I speak of him as uh just one of the the best um here's what I'll say. Sometimes you find a writer who is very technically proficient but can't tell a story. Sometimes you find a writer who can tell a great story but does it kind of sloppy. Sometimes you find someone who does both well and then you get Craig Clevenger who does them both very well. And that's kind of where I'm going to leave this. I think he's an incredible storyteller. Um, I think that there is a lot of effort and thought that goes into the way that the book is written that is obvious by how well it was executed. And yeah, this is 10 out of 10. This is just like a masterclass in what a
1: book should be. Well, it's going to be hard to follow that up. Um, this is one of my favorite books and one of the probably three or four books I've recommended the most over the I don't know, 15 or so years, I've uh, I've been aware of it. Um, it feels, when reading this book, so it's 190-ish pages, um, it feels bigger than that. And I think that's because there are no wasted words and there are no wasted storylines. And this is indicative of a writer who um, tells you exactly what you need to know to be invested in the story and doesn't try to fill it out for another 40 or 50 pages with with um, with stuff that isn't necessarily relevant um, to the story. Um, Craig is a is a is a master storyteller and and what Rob said was right, you know, it's you get good stories from people who don't know how to deliver them and you get great line by line writers who couldn't tell you a story if their life depended on, it. I won't mention any names, but longtime listeners will probably get the feeling <laughs> of who I'm talking about. <clears throat> and, and Craig just does them both in the same, um, both in the same novel, both with this and, and with Dermaphoria, which was his follow up to the contortionist handbook. Um, I, I've, I've loved those two books. I'll, I'll say it. Here's our flex. I, I love another book that, that he wrote that is not, currently available for, for uh, the vast majority of people to read. And um, I, I will say that the shame of it is that we don't have 10 Clevenger books um, that we could talk about on this podcast. Um, I also am giving this a, a 10, but I was scrolling through reviews, um, and I, have, I, I actually wondered how long it would be before I came across someone I know that, uh, that wrote a review for this. And I am gonna I'm gonna quote uh, Brandon Teets on this one in his review from twenty ten. I give it six out of five fingers.
0: That is like the perfect Brandon Teets quote too. Like you uh-huh. couldn't that so sums him up.
1: <laughs> yeah, I scrolled down like six reviews and I was like, Oh, I know that guy. <laughs> so Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um yeah. I uh, I hope I hope the world gets another Craig Clevenger book sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Um, Craig Craig is one of those stories where so if we want to go a little bit, let's do a little bit of time traveling. We started this podcast in April of 2011, um, already being fans of Craig and uh, Stephen Graham Jones and Will Christopher Bear and aware of the whole like velvet website, which was the fan site for the three of those authors. So we started out the podcast being fans of these authors um, never in our lives. I think like maybe we had hopes that we would one day talk to them, but never like imagining that, that we would build to that point. Um, and I think Livius would agree with me on that. And that, that warm and bound anthology that we reviewed really brought a lot of people into our crosshairs, a- including Stephen Graham Jones and Craig Clevenger. And that was, that afforded us our first discussion with him. Um, I re I listened to our conversation with him earlier today in preparation for this discussion. And I will say that I sounded real nervous, but like real prepared. And I think Livius probably sounded about the same, although you really can't tell with Livius, he just sounds kind of like the same all the time, but I could hear like the anxiety in my voice as we were talking to the dude. Um, like, I-, I love this book. I got to talk to the author and now I'm at a point where like we text each other. So, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's great. It's one of my happiest moments of the podcast is like the idea that we got to take these people that we admired who had a gift and a talent and turn them into people who are part of our lives. And so, on a personal level aside from the fact that like I admired this book and talked and raved about it far before I knew the author now um, now he, he is a friend so um, that I'm saying that as like because you know sometimes people will be like this is my disclaimer we know the author they give us the book yeah. or whatever my disclaimer is I fucking love this book before <laughs> I fucking love the man but now he gets to be a friend of mine and I think that's great
1: I, uh, I remember, um, so that whole warmed and bound debacle, I won't go into the whole thing, but we had expected to do a handful of interviews and Palavia who was uh, kind of helping us out with that, sent out an invitation to every author that was in the book. Um, so, so. <laughs> You know, we say, hey, here's what we want to do. And then a couple days later, like we get an email like, yeah, hey, I'd love I'd love to be on your podcast. And we get another one and we get another one. Right. So all of a sudden, over the course of like a couple of hours, we've gotten like 10 responses and we don't know when this is going to stop. And I got to tell you, when it stopped for me, when Craig Clevenger responded, I was like, I don't care what we have to do. Like we need we need to do this. So um, absolutely a a, 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 for sure a highlight um, for me in this podcast, a highlight for me personally. Um and yeah, just a just a genuinely cool dude and someone I'm also proud to to be able to say is my friend. So there you go. So I guess
0: what we're saying is if you if you uh, buy this book and read it or listen to it, you too could be best friends with Craig Clevenger. So just yeah, follow, go and follow go your and do dreams, it. kids.
1: Follow your follow dreams.
0: Follow your dreams. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
1: Oh man. There you go. A rave well, review. I, yeah. And, and I'm glad that we, we got to do this because, um, even I'm sure you and I talked about this book 15 ish years ago. Um, yep. but yeah, probably at different times. Like I had read it maybe who knows a year before, you know what I mean? So it's nice to, to be able to, you know, to revisit it and to revisit it together is, uh, is really cool. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I, on that note, can I tell you that oddly enough? So I, I actually, I, I really milked this book. I was reading like 25 pages a day. Um, so I finished it today. But last night, I was watching a new show on Netflix called Behind Her Eyes. And you know what shows up in that movie? A dude who very briefly has six fingers on one hand.
0: <laughs> what are the odds? That's weird. Yeah,
1: and and it's not it's not a you know whatever a plagiaristic kind of it's um. Uh, the the guy is trying to do uh, lucid dreaming. And one of the things he does is he counts his fingers on his hands like once an hour. And then he's in a dream and he counts his fingers on his hand. And then the one shot, the one hand has six fingers and that's how he realizes he's dreaming. But yeah, I mean, talk about getting two six finger, um, you know, references thrown at you in the same week. That doesn't happen terribly often.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. The only other, the only other like pop culture reference I can think of where that's, um, Even something that you would see is the TV show Fringe, that like sci fi X Files Mm -hmm. style thing. Like there's symbols that they throw up at the commercial breaks, and one of them is a hand with six fingers on
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good stuff. Um, Speaking of things that I watched, I'm surprised. So I don't even know if you know this is a thing. I stumbled across this last night um, and watched the first two episodes, which are uh, what's available currently. Um, have you heard of a TV show called Clarice? I have known about Clarice for quite a while. Okay. Um, have you, have you had a chance to to dip your toes into it?
0: I have not. I I believe it's a CBS show, right? It's CBS
1: all access. Yeah. yeah,
0: So I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find a way and maybe depending on your reaction, I might just bite the bullet and subscribe for the duration of the show. But, um, yeah, I haven't watched it yet for that reason.
1: Um, here's what I will say. Not quite as big a letdown as The Twilight Zone. Oh. <laughs> but, but um, yeah. Uh, I, it, it's, 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 it looks like it's going to be a somewhat disappointing, episodic, um, you know, uh, get the bad guy thing. And this just based on the two episodes that currently exist. Um, I, I really thought... I really thought, and I, I know I kind of shit-talk Hannibal a little bit, mostly just to get under Rob's skin, but they had the blueprint for how to do a great Silence of the Lambs type um, TV show, and, and I feel like like eventually it's going to be like a buddy cop drama. So, um, you mm-hmm. know, I, will I watch another episode? Sure, but I think that's all I'm giving you. If I'm not blown away by the next one, um, I'm gonna, I'm probably going to put it down. For anybody who's not aware, um, I'll give you my my own personal synopsis it's a it's a year after the events in Silence of the Lambs where Clarice uh, Starling um, captures uh, Buffalo Bill um, as she's just out of as she's just out of like the FBI Academy and she has kind of taken a, a little bit of a step back from the highlight and she's just kind of working in behavioral sciences the girl who she rescues at the end of Silence of the Lambs that girl's mother becomes, the attorney general or something, some high ranking position and pulls Clarice um, to a special team that's assigned to, to hunt down serial killers. So that's the, uh, the, the premise of the show. Um, it does not appear that there is going to be like a solid threaded story through it. Other than the fact that, you know, everyone kind of hates her because she was so successful, like day one out of the Academy so they treat her poorly, but she continues. It's going to be one of those um, Fox Mulder situations where she mm-hmm. always goes against the grain of what like the rest of the team is saying, but nobody ever believes her. But she's always right.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. So, uh, based on the first <laughs> two episodes, I'm I'm not I'm not terribly thrilled with it.
0: For anybody who's not aware, um, I- I'm going to lay out some of the limitations of this show based on. Um, the rights that are involved. The people who are doing the Clarice TV show have the rights to any characters who are original to the Silence of the Lambs, which means you're never going to see Hannibal. You're never going to see Will Graham. You're never going to see Jack Crawford. You're never going to see... So basically, all you're getting is the characters who were introduced in silence of the lambs that didn't exist in any other Hannibal stories. So you got Clarice, you got Buffalo bill and you got that fucking dog and obviously the bomb and the, and the, and the person who got saved. But like, um, that, that, that removes the opportunity to use any of the most like iconic characters in the, uh, in Tom Harris's whole, uh, Hannibal series. Yeah.
1: Which, like I said, could still be okay because somebody wrote them a blueprint of how to do an interesting show. I mean, yes, it was on NBC, but yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I don't think since the first season of Sherlock did I find anything engaging that was a CBS product. So, I mean, we're talking six, seven years now. Um, And even Sherlock got crappy after maybe season two.
0: Wait, do you mean Sherlock or
1: that elementary thing? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, elementary is what I meant. Yep. Yeah, which like I, th- I thought, season one was good. Season two was okay, and then it just became, you know, it, it just became yeah. every other buddy cop drama. So yep, you know, so CBS is not. Uh, it- it's probably gonna take a lot for me to watch another CBS show because it's just been constant disappointments for me for years now. That's
0: the th- that's the th- that's the weird thing about CBS because like they f- like the way they approach creating and distributing content. Is like with a cockiness that would would imply that they have like the best shows, and they never have. Like I, I mean, they have shows that capture like some people's attention. I think they had Criminal Minds, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, which was that like, um, that show where it was the behavioral unit of the FBI, and it was all like the crazy killers and stuff like that. Um, they've had shows that like seemed great but ended up being pretty kind of middling so I don't know where CBS gets off like talking the talk that it does because it doesn't walk the walk I've never understood CBS
1: yeah I know a lot of people are a big fan of like the Star Trek stuff they're doing but like I watched Star Trek as a kid because as a kid pre-cable like you just watch like the least adult thing you could find on. And sometimes that right, was star right. Trek. So, I mean, I, I liked it as a kid. I was never a big fan. People rave about their star Trek stuff though, from what I see online. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. So yeah, I was surprised cause you, I, I hadn't heard you mention it. I was like, there's no way this, this like slipped past him. Um, but yeah, I, I
0: <laughs> yeah, I've been acutely aware. I've just been like real hesitant and, mm-hmm. um, the CBS, obstacle was was what made it so I
1: haven't seen it yet yeah so yeah thats uh, that's that yeah I watched that uh, behind her eyes which was was really weird I didn't like read a synopsis for it and I still haven't it. so it, it starts out as is a very um it's based on a book um, that seems very much in the vein of like gone girl and the girl on the train like those types of books but then it has a really weird twist to it um, which was kind of interesting. So it it wasn't bad, it wasn't bad. It's a six part series, I believe, on Netflix. Um, we watched the whole thing yesterday. So um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was okay. But yeah, it was it was weird to take that kind of modern relationship thriller and throw in a very very strange twist. Hmm. So that's, that's that's all I'll say about that. <clears throat> then I do want to plug one more thing. All right, for anybody who's got Amazon Prime. Um, There is an adorable Groundhog Day style movie um, that I dropped sometime in the last couple of weeks called uh, The Map of Tiny Perfect Things, uh, which is a really cute story about a kid who's reliving the same day over and over again, um, but then after some time discovers that there is a girl roughly his age who is also reliving the same day over and over and over again. So I found a cute Um, Touching, you know, kind of heartfelt, feel good kind of movie. So uh, it's my recommendation if you want something better than Clarice, watch The Map of Tiny, or I'm sorry, The Map of Perfect Little Things.
0: Oh, I hadn't even heard of that. Mm -hmm. Amazon Prime is one of those things where, like, I don't get there very often either. Mm -hmm. So, like, if it's on Amazon, I'm more likely to have not seen it. Um, Even though I think I have access through a weird connection with Livius's Amazon account that we have for sharing, like, uh, Kindle books with each other. Yep. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I, I caught a weird trade, just, you know, one of those, like, best new trailers or whatever on YouTube. And uh, I saw it, and I was like, oh, God damn it! did they make another, like, Groundhog Day-style movie? And then they acknowledge that Groundhog Day is a movie in the trailer. And then, you know, I paid a little more attention. I was like, oh, Alright, so they're both doing this thing. This is kind of interesting, but yeah, it's a cutesy little movie. I, I, I enjoyed it. All right, I guess I have to
0: talk about what I've been watching. Huh?
1: Do tell. So, is it was it a Hannibal week, or was it a Justified week?
0: I haven't watched Justified or Hannibal in quite a while, I will tell you. I've
1: been... Is, it, um, is everything okay?
0: Yeah, I've been going through this thing, so I, I've been going through this thing where I'm trying to... I've, I've been watching... Um, like documentaries a lot about like killers, so I finally watched the Jinx, which is that HBO thing, the multi-part thing about um, uh, Durst, Robert Durst, the guy who like. You're about Fred Fred Durst, not red, not Fred Durst. <laughs> yeah. uh, the guy who was like a real estate guy in New York, and like his wife disappeared, and then someone else got killed suspiciously around him. You know what I'm talking about? This,
1: this does not ring a bell.
0: This is like from 2016. I'm really late on this one, so I'm not going to be the guy who's like, guess what I discovered? This fucking great thing that you all watched a decade ago. I'm not going to be that dumbass. But I did finally watch it, and I will say that it was interesting. But I've been kind of in this kick lately of, of watching the documentaries about the weird shit. Like, uh, I watched a bunch of cult ones. So I watched the, um, the one on HBO about, HBO about Nexium. The sex uh, mm-hmm. sex slavery cult or whatever I watched a bunch of cult ones I watched the Waco um, series on Netflix um, today I watched a documentary movie called Team Foxcatcher have you heard of that I have not so um, I think the dude's name was John DuPont he was like the of the DuPont family so obviously mm-hmm. like Im- in- immensely rich He's this kind of like eccentric, eccentric dude who got really focused on wanting to help um, fund Olympic athletes, like triathletes and stuff like that. But then he got really super into Olympic wrestling and he built this crazy huge complex on his um, estate in Pennsylvania and had all these like wrestlers like the USA wrestling team basically for the Olympics train and stuff and live on his complex but he kind of went crazier and crazier and eventually shot and killed someone (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i watched that one today that was pretty interesting
1: (laughs) i can't believe i didn't bring this up especially here of all places and you didn't mention it um the disappearance at the cecil hotel oh i watched that i did yeah i I did too and i I like, I, I thought the first, it's four parts, I think. Does that sound right? Four parts. Like, the first three were okay, but then, I don't know, that last part just kind of, I don't know, took all the fun out of it, I guess.
0: it. Well, yeah, it, they did a specific thing, and I don't know whether it's good or bad. Like, when you read people, uh, I read a lot of people commenting about it on social media. Um, I thought it was interesting because it built up. And like, cause we've talked about this in yep. in our Halloween episodes and we talked about how weird the video is and like all of the crazy speculation about like why she was doing the things she was doing. And we really hyped up the psychotic fucking like extreme thoughts of why this, this girl did what she did. But the thing that I thought was great and this kind of is a spoiler, but it's a documentary so who fucking cares in the fourth episode they're like yeah she was just mentally ill <laughs> yeah um and it took all the wind out of the sails of all these weird conspiracy theories uh about like how um it was a government thing with the tuberculosis or it was like some sort of evil thing or there was like a death metal guy in mexico
1: dude that's uh, the first time i heard about the death metal guy <laughs> <laughs> that poor guy he
0: wasn't even there in the
1: same year that she was there no <laughs> Well, the other thing too, and I don't remember—I don't watch those types of shows very often. But um, oh, I think it was the Cat Killer one. I don't remember what that was called. I saw that maybe like two years oh, ago. Do don't you know what I'm talking about? Cats. I yes, did not, yeah. I didn't see it though. Okay, not honestly, not bad. Um, but the same kind of thing emerged there is that that internet sleuths are uh, they get a little overly attached. So you know, especially. In that that final episode of Disappearance at the Cecil Hotel, where like people are like, "I just had to go there to get closure." Motherfucker, you sat on your computer, like watching videos and and like typing names into a browser, but you would think that you know <laughs> that, that that they lost a the best friend, right? In, in the thing, and I it I don't know, it bothered me a little bit. The the those types of people are, are a little are a little much for me, I think.
0: Yeah, I I agree. So like. Um the it it did a good job of emphasizing the fact that this tragedy was exploited, but it did it by exploiting the tragedy and I think that's where it kind of went wrong like it wasn't this um like the way they built it up they wrote the story. they wrote a story to to like rope you into thinking the way that those internet sleuths did instead of just telling a straight story about how like hey, this is actually like I don't know. Like they made it to TMZ for me almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they could have just, cause the cops looked like clowns until the final episode where it's like, Oh, the cops were doing cop things. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So uh, um, I don't think they executed it right, but it is an interesting story. And I will say that I think the benefit of this four part series is that um, until this series, everybody just talked about the weird sensational shit. No one really ever that I had heard of talked about the real story of like, this was a person with a severe bipolar disorder who, you know, suffered a tragedy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what internet sensationalism does, right? Yeah. Like you only hear about the weird, the weird stuff and, you know, Hey, on the Nexium one, um, how long is that series? Cause I actually saw there's a show on cults. Fuck, I don't know. Maybe on Netflix and I watched a couple episodes, but they're like forty five minutes each. And one of them was on the Nexium cult and it was pretty interesting. I may have to give that another I may have to give a longer um, look at that if there's a. if you're saying that documentary's pretty good.
0: That's actually a good question. So I, I enjoyed the HBO one. I think it's six hour long episodes.
1: Oh, okay. So they go really um, deep. I mean I got the condensed version, they like said in a forty five or fifty minute you know it was like mostly led by uh, a woman who was in the Nexium cult who was like a recruiter for them right you know and then a series of like interviews with other people and a, and like a psychiatrist they have on every episode to talk about like cult mentality but i thought that was one of the more interesting ones i watched two or three and that's the only one that really got my uh, you know my interest peaked in in knowing more oh shit i'm wrong um
0: so The first season of this, of this series, (laughs) Jesus, Um, is nine episodes that are an hour
1: long. Holy crap. Okay. So it's it's the first season
0: (laughs) and there's a second season coming up this year. That's seven more episodes, but there's another series called seduced, which is four hour long episodes. Um, I think it's on Amazon.
1: That that might be a little more my speed. I don't know if I want to devote like twenty hours to the to the cult. Yeah. Four hours, like I, I could probably do that.
0: So. It's real. Like of the cult shit I've watched recently, this one is one of the more interesting. But it's I, I think part of it is because like it's it's almost like in like modern like today, like this shit all happened recently.
1: Like well, yeah, one of the it's...
0: stars from uh, Supernatural or whatever was one of the like real evil people in it.
1: Yeah, and um, it's interesting because I'm not debating that it's not a cult, but it's definitely different than what I pictured, you know, from other cult things that I'm I'm aware of. You know what I mean? It's a little bit more of like a like a big modern scam than what I think of traditionally as a cult. Get it when
0: you watch the when you watch the HBO series, you get why it's a cult, but like it takes a while um, to get there. But it has all of the trappings. Every, like to the to the to the one of of a, of a cult, so it's there. Um, I, I do want to watch Seduced, but um, the vow really gets into it.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. Thanks for tuning in to Watched.
0: Yeah, Watched. Yeah, we didn't even mention thirty coins, which ended.
1: Um, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, for the listeners, I'll say I watched the first two episodes. I plan on getting back into it. I just got sidetracked with uh, with other stuff. But uh, I am probably going to. It's probably next on my list of things to watch if I don't continue to get sucked down the rabbit hole of um, uh, wrestling from the 1980s. Oh god,
0: get some Ultimate Warrior on your. Uh... Yeah, I mean, watch. I wasn't.
1: I wasn't a big WWF fan, but it, it seems like, and, and I, I mean, some of these were uploaded years ago. I don't. They never really popped up in my feed, but somehow, I wound up going down a rabbit hole, and there are all these old like big events that i remember as a kid like you know that that were either like on pay-per-view or they weren't on pay-per-view they were just like a big madison square garden type thing before pay-per-view was a thing you know and that like i I watched the other night like the entirety of like Starcade 1987 um and uh it was it was it was a nice it was a nice journey back to uh to my youth but then, you know, the stuff that's getting recommended to me is like interviews with wrestlers from like recent years, like looking back at their careers and stuff. So I've been spending a little bit of time with uh, with 1980s pro wrestling of all things <laughs> and, uh, and 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 really enjoying it.
0: Well, if you want to keep with the documentary theme, I, I think it's on Netflix. There's something called like on the mat or something like that, which is like of wrestling. It's a very like narrow focus of early earlier wrestling and what it boils down to I don't want to spoil anything but like um for anybody who who couldn't imagine this on their own Jake the Snake Roberts is a really shitty dad.
1: Yeah, I um, I saw that that's older. Like that's that's yeah. been out for a while, right? Yeah, I yeah. saw that when it came out maybe 7 8 years ago. Yeah, it I believe it's like it follows like three wrestlers if memory right. no research correct. But yeah, Jake the Snake. When you said that, I was like, "Oh, I I know. I know what you're talking about." <laughs> yeah, those guys, man. I'll, I'll tell you. Well, see before Hulk Hogan none of them were like pulling down serious serious money and these guys were working like you know and, and and you know whatever you think about wrestling it's a physical activity and they were doing it like 270 nights a year so right. i mean those are those are some guys that took some hard hits um uh i recently li- i recently listened to um joe rogan had the undertaker on Do you remember the undertaker
0: Oh, I remember the Undertaker. Yeah, yeah,
1: and, and listening to that guy talk about the trials and turbulations and like how he got involved in wrestling—some of it's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. I, I don't know if it's interesting if you you weren't a fan of pro wrestling or you're not a fan of pro wrestling. I mean, I haven't watched you know a current wrestling match probably in 15, 20 years, but it, it is it is nice to, to now. Um, you know, when I was a kid, they wrestling was still real—air quotes around real, right? But now hearing them talk about it openly. Is, uh, is a pretty interesting thing. So, yeah, you can catch a bunch of that shit on YouTube. Just type in like NWA 1988, and you'll you'll find a, a ton of stuff to watch if that's your thing.
0: It's definitely not my thing. I, mean, I might have to re- rewatch some <laughs> some Justified.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, but I'm telling you, it's funny because I'm watching something that happened fucking like 35 years ago, and I'm like excited to see what the outcome is. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, Who's I want to get I- pinned. Yeah, is, is Ric Flair going to retain the belt in this one? You know, so...
0: You know what? Before before we... I, I feel like we're probably winding up this episode, but now that we're talking about what we've been watching, um, often I will uh have something playing, because I work from home, I'll have something playing while I'm working, just to kind of, like, occupy that other side of my brain, or whatever you want to call it. Um, And lately what it's been is I found this... Uh, oh, man, I wish I could think of the name of the the YouTube channel, but there's a YouTube channel that talks about, they have a series on abandoned places. And then there's a series on companies that have gone bankrupt. And, um, it's just fascinating. Cause like this dude will do like really well scripted 20 to 30 minute episodes about like, uh, an iconic place that became abandoned, like, uh, for anything from malls to, um, like a casino like any project that kind of just failed like a casino uh resorts stuff like that cruise ships so um that has just been endlessly entertaining for me but also like bankruptcies so like big companies and he will tell the history of the company like Sears and um like Toys R Us and stuff and he did one on Circuit City which I thought was great because like I worked at Circuit City, and I hated it. And like the downfall of the company was basically everything I hated about the company. So that was like a personal one for me. But man, I just can't get enough of this fucking YouTube channel about Abandoned. I'm
1: going to go with uh, Bright Sun Films. It Does is Bright that sound Sun right? Films. It is. Yes. Thank you. I did a little bit of YouTube searching while you were talking, and uh, Sears is what got it for me. Abandoned. Season 1, episode 50 is Abandoned Sears.
0: It's real interesting. They do Kmart. They do... Um, and, and the cool thing about it is like, you get like, uh, the bankruptcy ones, like Kodak was one of them. Um, like there's all these things that, um, either revolutionized the way that something was done and then failed or, um, or like the Titan of its day and then failed. And it's interesting that most of the stores that, uh, eventually go bankrupt are because of Walmart.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, so, <laughs> I don't have to watch a documentary to tell you that, right. <laughs> but it's funny because I I clicked on uh, on Bright Sun Films channel and then and there's a second channel for Jake Williams who I'm guessing is the um you know yeah the, the main dude yeah he looks like he's probably 23 yeah he's um, he's, he's a young dude but he's I mean I can only imagine what he's pulling in every video on here. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say that the popular uploads 14 million views, 6 million views, 5 million views, 3.7 million views. Um, he's got a video that just went up two days ago, uh, uh with a uh, 79,000 views. So, you know, this kid's rolling in the money, just telling us stories of sunk ships and sunk businesses. <laughs> like the thing I will say
0: though, is like, um, it is obviously well researched and well scripted. Like, he tells a great story from, and like it reveals information you never knew. Like, uh, you know, if a company was, like, you know, before this company, stores never did this type of thing. So it's it's super fascinating, um, and pretty educational. And I I feel like I've been into those types of uh YouTube channels. Like that's like really what I watch. Like, there's another channel called Answers with Joe where he just talks about scientific stuff and like how science stuff works in a way that's really approachable. I think I've mentioned it before. So this is my latest kind of educational um, YouTube channel I've been into.
1: Well, very nice. Um, Let's, uh, we should probably tell people what's coming up next. I'm going to let you do this because um, we're just unable to find something of interest to review. That's, new or recent. So my apologies if you're a writer, you put out something new or recent. Maybe we just haven't seen what that is. Um, but we're going to continue down the throwback um, episodes. Um, and we are going to revisit another book that Rob and I, I believe, bonded over many, many years ago. Um, the Club Dumas by Arturo Perez Reverte. Now, you might think to yourself, they've mentioned that before. Isn't that the Ninth Gate? Um. <laughs> yes and no. Um. So the Ninth Gate, very, very, very loosely based on the Club Dumas, the Club Dumas, um, a, a, another great novel. I can't imagine that it's going to fare poorly in our, um, you know, kind of rereading of it. Um. But uh, definitely my favorite book from Arturo Perez Rote. I read maybe six of his books. I know Rob read a few more. He went a little deeper into a, a series than I was able to get into. But that's all we'll be discussing for that one. I'm I'm gonna say we'll probably do spoilers for that one. Um, you know, there's a book that came out in 2006. Um, there's a movie that people uh, constantly think is a adaptation of this book, um, and really it's it's not. And we'll probably get into a little bit of that in our uh, our review next week.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to do that one. Um, I like taking a little trip down memory lane with some of these. Again, like with uh, with more um, analytical eyes. So we'll see how this one fares. But, um, I think I have a feeling it's going to do pretty well.
1: Like, well, like yeah. Livia said. And, and we do have, we do have it probably three new books coming up. Yeah. So don't, we'll don't we get back to recent things. We do have things <laughs> slotted and scheduled. Um, I know we've talked about Maxwell's demon will be coming up. Rob and I have both read it. We're both going to reread it before reviewing it. We just, uh, we would just like to do it closer to the release date. That's, that's what I'll say about that one.
0: Yep. So, um, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thanks for joining us for a long overdue discussion of contortionist handbook by Craig Clevenger. Like we said, if you could find a used copy at a reasonable price, we absolutely recommend doing that. Otherwise the audible book is available, um, through Amazon or I'm assuming directly through audible. And I'm fairly certain that that does benefit the author directly. So, um, Please check it out. Uh, I doubt that you will regret it because it's an
1: incredible book. All right. That's it for this episode of Booked. Until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.